Okay, um, so yesterday I was listening to the radio and the, on the radio, uh, this was BBC World Service, they were having a d debate and discussion on age discrimination. Now, um, obviously as they were going through this, they were talking about some pretty saddening stories about how there is discrimination against young people and old people and even middle-aged people and actually the oldest lady on the on the panel said she actually doesn't think that age discrimination is the biggest problem that we have uh, the, there are still bigger problems in terms of racial discrimination and gender discrimination and to consider all of those stories um, and consider that's not the worst that we're facing and we probably know this already you just have to switch on the news and you see uh, this discrimination and the wickedness and the evil that is going on in this world. And I'm sure that even in your own life, uh, even in your own circles, you see uh, in discrimination and wickedness going on. And it seems as if the wicked are prospering more and more in this world. This world is becoming more capitalistic and more extreme. Or perhaps we're just learning more about it because we have instant news. Um, and as we see this, I wonder whether you'd like me, you, you cry out for righteousness. You just wish for there to be some peace or some kind of uh, place of rest where there is righteousness. And so how as Christians do we deal with this wickedness? Now the, um, the Bible tells us in the story of Noah that wiping out all wickedness in the world does not work. Um, I think we know that wickedness is inherent in all of us. We know that hiding away in Christian communities, in, in communes, it doesn't work. We've seen examples of that. And besides, the Bible tells us uh, that we should be out in the world as uh, part, uh, yeah, being in the world but not part of it, salt and light to the world. So the option of be becoming a monk or a nun or going away and hiding away in a Christian commune that's not what the Bible tells us to do. And that doesn't work. We have seen examples of where that doesn't work. We look at initiatives of good people, great people, and governments, and we see time and time again, well, as these good things have a momentary success, it seems to be overwhelmed by the wickedness, and things seem to be getting worse. So what impact do people like Mother Teresa, um, Bishop Tutu, um, uh, you know, all of these people, these good people, what do they have on the world? And it seems to be overwhelmed by the wickedness of the world. So this passage addresses that wickedness. And so let's have a look at this passage, uh, passage and uh, ask the question, what should we do? So if you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37, um, again, using the ESV version. 
Fret not yourselves because, yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at this place, he will not be there. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those who, whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bow shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish the, like vo uh, smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but, does, uh, borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cut off by him shall be cut off. The steps of the man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away evil and do good, so shall you, you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart, he, his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks his to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power, or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you in the, uh, to inherit the land. You will look on, here, uh, on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spread himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though he sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and <clears throat> behold the right upright. For there is a future in the, for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps us and delivers us. 
He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for giving us this passage written by David uh, to speak to the righteous, uh, to those who are saved by you, those who you care for and you deliver. Father, we pray that we can humble ourselves to accept your deliverance and acknowledge your righteousness. Lord, we pray that we can open our hearts to learn from you today and become more like you as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like Douglas's Adam's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, on the front are big, pink, friendly letters that say, don't panic. When we see wickedness around us, the Bible says in the very first words of this passage, don't fret, don't be worried. We see this repeated time and time as encouragement to Christians, not just uh, in this passage, but in the whole Bible. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you put on it, uh, put on. Is not life more, uh, more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither re- sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your he- heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And we know the health detriments of worrying. White hair. My hair was receding when I had a particularly stressful time. I know I I generally put on a bit of weight and my uh, diabetes gets a bit worse. So it says, don't worry. Paul in Philippians 4 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but be in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. And Psalm 37 says, Fret not not yourself because of evildoers. Be not anxious of wrongdoers. Why? Well, it says, For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like green herb. Hmm. So it says, Don't worry because wrongdoers will soon pass away. Well, they'll die. Or they'll disappear or they'll fail that doesn't really help me now though does it it's tough because to God our lifespans are short in the great schemes of things our lifespans are short but it's difficult now we've got we've got uh, we have to live this life we have to deal with this weakness we see this weakness around now I'm going to come back to uh, to this uh, this point. It does point us to trust in God and trust that He will do us good. Um, but I want to make three points about this passage. Now the first of those is that there is a very clear dividing line here in this passage between those who are righteous and those who are wicked, and there seems to be no middle ground now 
those of you who know me know that I am a big fan of films. And one big issue I have in films, and it's not just films, it's any type of storytelling, whether it be books or uh, kind of uh, storytelling media, is that they portray everybody or the general masses or most people to be good. Most people are apparently inherently good. I'll take one example, uh, which was hailed to be a great Christian film, uh, The Lord of the Rings. And they hailed it to be a great Christian film because uh, Tolkien was a good friend of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, if you don't know, is, a, is a, uh, probably the greatest Christian writer of the last century. Um, but Tolkien was a good friend of C.S. Lewis and had, was raised in a Catholic background. Actually, we have no real clue as to whether Tolkien had a, a faith or not. He was in a writer's group with C.S. Lewis. Uh, he, we have records that he actually mocked C.S. Lewis for his talking animals. Um, how that's different from kind of trees that walk and talk, I don't know. But um, we know he was a good friend. I mean, it's, it's gentle, you know, friendly mockery. And they, they wrote uh, you know, and, and critiqued each other's work. But Lord of the Rings, it's all about the ring and Sauron. And if you've seen the film or read the book, Evil is outside. It's external, isn't it? It's evil, the ring that tempts people. It's Sauron. When Sauron is destroyed, when the ring is destroyed, Sauron is destroyed and all his armies are destroyed. Now, that doesn't get rid of evil completely. There is, there is still evil there. But yeah, there is uh, a nasty guy who goes to the Shire. But people... It says that people are inherently evil, and you take out this ring, you take away Sarah, and you take away the orcs, and the temptation disappears, and people live in peace and harmony and do good. If you think about any story, the same is true. I watched Infinity War on Thursday. I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a great big evil guy, and he's going to cause evil, and what good people do is they fight him. And it's an external evil, isn't it? So there's this very clear kind of dividing line of good and evil, but it's external. It's not within us. Now, I think we know that generally that, um, that evil is inherent in us. Now, so... Uh, this is very different from what the Bible says. The Bible says, in Romans 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's me, that's Craig, that's everyone here. Everyone has sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption of, that is Christ Jesus. So except for the free righteousness that is found by being saved and redeemed in Jesus, we are all sinful, we are all fallen, we are all wicked. So what happened, I referred to this earlier, what happened when the only righteous people on earth were saved and God wiped out humanity? So everyone except Noah and his family were wiped out. Now if you read that story, you probably know that story because you will have heard that story from... You know, when you're young or you've seen, maybe you saw the film or maybe you, you will have heard the story. But you probably don't know <coughs> stories that follow straight after. The story that follows straight after 
is that Noah gets drunk. He, he, uh, he uh, fosters a vineyard and then he gets drunk. And then he lies naked for the whole world to see, well, only his family. Now, there's also the implication that his son uh, kind of uh, is disrespectful to his father straight away, uh, his youngest son. Now, you may not think that's too bad. The next story after that, anyone know the next story after that? Test? No? Okay. You probably, because I, I always get this timeline confused. The next story after that is the Tower of Babel, where all the nations come together and they want to be God. They think we can make a tower to reach God. They want to be God. And God just causes them to have different languages and to separate. So within a couple of generations, man has become wicked and they want to be God. The moral of that story is that wiping out all sin on earth is not the answer. Just leaving those who are righteous is not the answer because man is inherently sinful. We get that, uh, a sense of that with a famous saying, the only thing necessary for the, for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Well, the Bible goes further than that and says very clearly, Jesus says very clearly, whoever is not for me is against me. He says that in both, uh, in, in all three of the first, well, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. Whoever is not for me is against me, and whoever does not gather uh, with me scatters. That's quite harsh, isn't it? Because it's saying those, those who are not Christians are counted among the wicked. In fact, the, the Christians are counted among the wicked, but after judgment... Jesus says, I have taken the punishment for that wickedness. They have taken my righteousness. That means that we have no right to boast over those who are wicked, those who are not Christians. We are wicked too. But we gain the free righteousness because we, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' is sinful, is sinlessness. And so as we read this passage, we should be challenged by the question, are we counted among the righteous or are we counted among the wicked? There is no gray area. The Bible divides, divides the sinful and those who are saved, the chaff and the wheat, the goats and the sheep, those who have eternal life and those who do not. If you're not sure, then please pray about it. If you want to know more, please talk to a Christian today. Please grab me afterwards and talk to, to me or grab a, a Christian to talk to them and find out more what it means to be saved. My second point is this. What are the hallmarks of being righteous? What are the hallmarks of those who are righteous? Uh, let me make this clear again. We know that righteousness can only be found in trusting God and accepting salvation from Jesus who died for us 
on, our, on the cross in our place. But like children who are shaped by their parents, now there's a challenge for those of you who are parents, you know, they kind of pick up all of our habits, don't they? You know, sometimes they, you see them mimicking you know, what, what you're doing, and that's great. And sometimes they pick up some of our bad habits. Sometimes they swear and you think, where have you learned that word from? Oh, oops. And you think, well, you know what I'm talking about. But like children who pick up the habits and imitate their parents, so if we are children of God, then we should be striving to be more like our faithful and perfect Father in heaven. So as always, this is a difficult list as we look down at Psalm 37. It's chock full of them. Let me just uh, do the first few verses. Uh, verse 1 says that we should not fret and be envious of evildoers. Are we warriors? Do we worry about things? Do we worry about uh, how is our worrying about things being good, a good witness to God? Are we envious of the sinful? Do we delight in what God has given us? Or do we look over at those people who are kind of rich and those people who are, have got maybe gotten their, their things in uh, ill-gotten gains uh, and think, I wish I was like them, or I wish I had that? Or do we delight in the things that God has already given us? Because God has given us lots. Verse 3 says that we should trust in God and do good. Well, inherently we all know what doing good is because God built us like that in his image. But if we don't, this is what the Bible's here for. Much of it is a guide to being good. Like this passage, there are signs of what is being good. Verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. And this should really overflow into our conversations. And now I'm not saying that we should rave about God to our non-Christian friends and be in their face and say, you know, you must be a Christian. But it should show in the way that we conduct ourselves. If, we, if God is central to our lives, shouldn't it show? Shouldn't it be flowing out in our conversations? Verse 5, commit yourself. Have you? And that's a, there's that word again, trust again. If you haven't got the passage open, just have a look at the passage down with me. Uh, verse 6, bring forth your righteousness as the light. Be witnesses to what righteousness. It talks about justice. Is that a hallmark of our character, that we strive for justice? Verse 7, wait patiently. That's hard. I really struggle with that with my students on the roads of, uh, of Johor, waiting patiently. Verse 8, refrain from anger. To some of my previous classes, I, yeah, I think I have been known as an angry man. I think I, think I am better now. Uh, I hope I am better now. So... Uh, verse 11, be meek. I had to check the dictionary just to double check this. I thought it means humble. No, it doesn't mean humble. It says that meek means quiet, gentle, and submissive, which is kind of parallel with humble. Ju quiet, gentle, and submissive. Isn't it so countercultural to be submissive? 
We're told, be brave, be strong, be proud, be forthright, be battling. This says be submissive. Be submissive. Who's a great example of that? Well, surely Jesus. And I've only got to verse 11. There are 40 verses in this passage. I'm not going to go on. I don't want to highlight these things to bash you or make you feel bad about yourself, but I hope it has two effects. One is to realize how fallen and sinful and imperfect and in need of a savior we are. Those things show us and yeah, cut away our pride and make us realize that we do need a savior. It's easy to compare ourselves to the people around us and think, oh, we're not so bad, or we're a little bit better than everyone else. We're not at least as bad as those. But when we compare ourselves to the perfect God, or even to Jesus who was sinless, we fall far short. Second thing is to spur us on to be more like our Heavenly Father, to challenge ourselves to be more godly and to be a good witness. These are hallmarks of the righteous. Can we count ourselves among them? I would hope and ask you to read through this passage a couple of times this week, maybe use it as your quiet time, and reflect on these these characteristics of the righteous and think, are we reflecting this from our God? Are we we being good witnesses for God? You see, it's not easy. My final point of the passage is to be really careful about how you can, uh, how you read this passage. And you can understand why uh, the Pharisees in the New Testament read this passage and said, oh, if I'm righteous, then I deserve wealth and comfort and a peaceful life. And that's a prosperity gospel, isn't it? The Bible is not, does not preach a prosperity gospel. You will hear that in many churches today. If you go to other churches, they will say, become a Christian and you will get wealth. You will get comfort. You will get that nice car that you are looking for. You will get uh, a happy life. You will retire with that nice house in the country with a garden and the many children. But the Bible doesn't promise that. Now you may say, oh, but that's contradictory to what this passage says. I'm saying read this passage carefully. Critics of the Bible, and, and sadly many of them call themselves Christians, critics of the Bible will point this out as a contradiction, but let's have a closer look. I mean, John 15 says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That seems to be contradictory, contra contradictory doesn't it? Remember, it says, he says, remember the word, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted the, me, they will also persecute you. 1 Peter 4 says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fear of fiery trial that when it comes to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 
but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It says that if you stand as a Christian, suffering will come, but rejoice. Isn't that a strange thing? Rejoice when that suffering comes. So it says that the, the Christian life is not going to be easy. And But let's have a look at what this passage says. So if you, again, if you turn uh, to uh, the passage, you make sure, uh, look at the passage. In verse 4, it promises us the desires of our hearts. In verse 9, it says uh, that we will have the inheritance of the land. We will inherit the land. Verse 11, again, inheritance of the land and abundant peace. In verse 15, the sword of the wicked will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. And I could go on. It seems as if these promises are almost contradictory to what it says elsewhere. But it's not. Now, the land, what is that talking about? Does that mean that we're going to retire with a nice plot of land and a nice house? Property, that's a nice thing, isn't it? Well, that is an image of Canaan. Just as Christians can look back at Israel and see that as an image of God's chosen people. God chose them not because they were good. In fact, yeah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Isaac, all of them were incredibly sinful. It was a really messed up family. They failed God time and again. And Israel as a nation failed God time and time again. And God, but God said, I love them. They are my people. They will, I will set them apart. And he brought them into his land. As we look into the New Testament, that land is heaven. How do we know that? Well, actually, it doesn't say it much in the New Testament, but it is clear that it is heaven. When Jesus is being questioned by Pilate, Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. In Revelation, it talks about the old earth uh, being destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth being created. Jesus talks about my mansion has many rooms, he promises those for his followers. The land he is talking about is in heaven. Verse 15 is not talking about some cosmic karma. It does not say that sometimes God... Inter it, it, it does say we do know that God sometimes intervenes in this life. But it also says and promises that the wicked will be judged. So the sword of the wicked piercing themselves and the bow being broken is their judgment, is their death in this life. The bow will be broken. Their wickedness will end. There is no wickedness in this uh, land, in this life, in this world that will not end. And what about this life for Christians? What about giving us the desires of our hearts? What about the peace? Well, the Bible does promise us peace and joy. For, uh, 1 Peter 1 says, so this is just before the other passage that I read about suffering. Though you have not seen it, you love him. Though you do not see him 
you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Knowing that promised salvation will give you joy and peace. To finish this pas uh, the, the passage that I read earlier, right near the beginning, do not be anxious about anything. Some of you know this. Hopefully it's a memory verse of yours. Please, it's a great memory verse. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What, is, what follows it? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? That's an amazing phrase. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is what many people in this world seek. They go and spend expensive uh, amounts, well, they spend a lot of money on expensive holidays to try and find the perfect beach in Bali or Langkawi to find that peace. But then it soon fades, doesn't it? Or go on yogic retreats or find the perfect massage. God says, by praying and trusting in him, we will be given a peace that surpasses all understanding. And finally, the passage which I try and live my life by and has been fulfilled a number of times, Proverbs 3, 6 and 7, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So, we are promised peace and joy in this life. So, it brings me back to the question, what should we do about this wickedness that we see around us? Three things that we've learned from this passage. Firstly, do not be like them. Separate yourselves from them. This Wickedness, do not be envious of them, do not follow them, do not be anything like them. We have been set apart. The word holy and the word saint means set apart. Secondly, we should seek to follow our Father's example. Have love, have compassion, be stirred to seek justice. Witness where you can by being righteous. That doesn't mean sitting back and just ignoring it or trying to hide away from it, going away to a uh, Christian commune. Seek justice, but also have compassion, be gentle, be submissive. And finally, and more importantly, be at peace. Yes, seek justice, be passionate about that, but don't worry. Because this life is temporary. Judgment will come and God is in control. Be at peace with that by bringing things to God in prayer. Let me pray. Father, we pray for your peace. Lord, we thank you that every sin transgression whether we know it or not when we bring it to you you have forgiven it because you have already taken the punishment for it 
that we are counted among the wickedness, uh, wicked. But when, but when you look at us, we are seen as righteous. Lord, help us to strive for righteousness. Strive for compassion, compassion, strive for justice in this world. And that we can be witnesses to your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.